0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 305 and we are recording on November 2nd. I'm Amanda Nelson and I'm here with Jen Northington and we are coming to you from Book Riot. It's November. (laughs) Unacceptable. How (laughs) even dare? (laughs) (laughs) Extremely that. It's very confusing to me. I think because I was gone. I was on vacation last week. And when you come back, at the, like, you leave in the middle of the month and you come back and it's like a new month. It's just very disorienting. Oh, yeah. No. Anyway. So before we get into this, should we talk about Adaptation Nation? We should. Yes. So Adaptation Nation is our new podcast and it is about adaptations. (laughs) Hence the title. So we are talking uh, twice a month about different literary adaptations, both movies and TV and it's a rotating cast of hosts from various members of Book Riot staff. It's super fun. We just did episode one, just went up yesterday. And it's Jen and myself and Jeff, our CEO, and the co-host of the Book Riot podcast talking about the new Dune adaptation. And if you want to hear Jen, call Duke Leto a himbo. You should <laughs> run, not walk, <laughs> to subscribe to Adaptation Nation.
1: <laughs> I've been thinking about that ever listen, since you said it. <laughs> listen. I'm just saying...
0: You're totally right. I've been thinking about it (laughs) since. And there's like a himbo requires a certain amount of cinnamon rollness, which he Mm -hmm. totally has. Mm -hmm. He tries not to have it because he's trying to be like very dignified. Whatever. You're a himbo. Sit down. Right. Right. Anyway, so that's adaptation. (laughs) Please go subscribe and listen. So this show, the one that you're listening to right now, Get Booked, is, as I said, a show for personal reading recommendations. And we are approaching the holidays um, and we will have a holiday recommendation show at the end of November-ish, like three quarters of the way into the month. So you can go ahead and send us those questions if you have reading recommendation requests for gifts. Um, of course, you can continue to send us questions for yourself all, for all time. And this can be anything from like, you need a recommendation for your book club, you need a recommendation because you just read some amazing book and you need a read-alike or whatever. And you can send those requests to getbooked at bookwrite.com. There's also a form in the show notes on the site if you would rather use that. If your question is time sensitive, please put it in you know the subject line of your email or big bold letters at the beginning of the question so we will get to it on time. All right. We don't have any feedback this week, so we are going to, or maybe we do and I just didn't look because I was on vacation. That's entirely possible. (laughs) Um, So we'll get to that next week. And our first question is from Lydia, which I will read and then we will hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. So Lydia says, my husband and I have recently decided to move out of Texas. We are at a stage of life when moving can be complicated as we have children who are 14 and 7 who were settled into a routine in our suburban neighborhood. But the pandemic and our state's failed response to it finally pushed us to make the leap. We're excited and hopeful for the opportunity to explore a new way of life. However, our family and friends don't quite understand why we want to make this change at this point in our lives, and the lack of support can be hard to bear. Can you recommend books about people choosing to make dramatic changes in their lives that seem crazy to everyone else, specifically a change that involves moving, travel, midlife career changes, and that preferably involve families with children? I would prefer nonfiction or memoir, but feel free to surprise me. A little sentimentality is okay, but please, nothing too sappy or woo-woo. I would like something that acknowledges the practical challenges of change while maintaining a hopeful and
2: positive perspective. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology. If you do, I got something for you. A must read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author, Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Booley and Tiffany D. Jackson. So unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology, but Then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. And to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Daz. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas, or if the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Ann Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Jen, you want to go with our moving with kids and
0: adventure with kids and changing your life and all of that? <laughs> I sure
1: do. <laughs> And it's a little bit of a sideways recommendation because this book I'm recommending is also about cheese. Mm -hmm. So it's The Telling Room, A Tale of Love, Betrayal, Revenge, and the World's Greatest Piece of Cheese. It's by Michael Paterniti. It is a memoir. And this book is such a... Hodgepodge of things. So the writer was working in a gourmet deli in Michigan in like the early 90s and encountered this like the most expensive cheese in the world. (laughs) And so this there's all these stories about like oh it's an ancient family recipe. It can only be made in this one tiny town in Spain. And you know it's it's like aged in a special cave and like blah 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 blah. So ten years later. He has the opportunity or makes the opportunity to move his entire family, including his children, to the tiny village, Guzman, where the cheese is made to try to like find out the story of the cheese. And so this is both like a piece of investigative journalism because there's this whole wild, like complicated drama around the cheese itself. But it's also very much about like, what is it like to move your family to a tiny European town that's like not super digital or, you know, in the swing of things? And now granted, this is like 2000. So it's a little bit of a different digital landscape than today, but not so different. And it's very much about, like, yeah, what does it do to your family when you're like, hi, we're going to move across the world so I can write about cheese, and which is, like, a way crazier move than the one you're making is, and, you know, what the benefits of that kind of adventure are. And also cheese. I love cheese, so I I loved all of the aspects of this book, and it sounded like it might be a fun read for you. It's, like, not going to give you parenting tips or anything, but, like, again, this is a way wilder move than the one you're making so maybe that will like make you feel better about your your choices so again that's the telling room by Michael Paterniti
0: okay I picked how to be a family by Dan coy and the sub the subtitle is the year I dragged my kids around the world to find a new way to be together which I think is pretty relevant to what you're going through so Dan is a journalist and him and his wife, were living in the suburbs of D.C. in Virginia, in Northern Virginia. And they had two preteen girls, one of whom was, like, extremely online. And the other is, like, this very sensitive kind of, you know, just a sensitive little girl. Uh, And they realized that they are, like, doing that typical American thing where they're overscheduled. They're distracted. They're busy. They're not spending any time together. So the parents decide to rent out their house, sell pretty much everything they own, and take their daughters to live in various points around the world that are really, really different from suburban East Coast family life. So he picks up his kids and moves to New Zealand for the first round, and then they move to the Netherlands, then they spend a few months in Costa Rica, and then they end up in small town Kansas, which is about as far away culturally from D.C. as you can possibly get. And so this is his memoir about that process. He does not have a family support other than his immediate family. His his neighbors and his friends are all like, you're going to do what with who? Like, why would you? Why? You know, he's pulling his kids out of school. And since they're doing this over the course of about a year, they're going to be pulled out of school several times. Like they have to homeschool sometimes. They And they, they don't transition well with every move. Uh, like when they end up in the Netherlands, one of his daughters really struggles with the Dutch Way of schooling because the Netherlands is very much about cultural conformity, and she's, you know, an extremely online American preteen. So she is not having that. And so she gets in a lot of trouble at school. And then in Kansas, they get into a neighborhood where they have a lot of political differences with everyone, (laughs) with the, the town. And so there's just a lot of of stuff like that. But it is mostly a memoir about finding new ways to be close to your family when you're in really stressful times. So they take all the lessons that they learn from all of these different places that they've lived to kind of figure out where they actually want to end up, you know, long term. And then also come to that kind of kind of sappy, but not (laughs) to everyone realization that, you know, home is really just where these people are. It doesn't super matter where you're living as long as it's not a place that's causing you active distress as long as you have your people you're probably going to be fine so i think that you will relate to a lot of both his reasoning for picking up his kids um in a time that you know his neighbors and his friends are kind of like why would you do that they're in the middle of school year or whatever i think you'll understand his reasoning there and then just the practicalities of like moving kids really far away on airplanes and like helping them adjust and all of that kind of stuff so that's how to be a family by dan coy
1: All right. Our next question is from Sarah, who says, I'm looking for a gift for my wife, who is a huge mystery slash thriller reader. She's read all of The Usual Suspects and is starting to find the genre stale since so many follow the police procedural or girl goes missing trope. One of her favorites has been the Heart Sick Trilogy by Chelsea Kane, due to the novelty of a female serial killer and the cat and mouse interactions she has with the detective in the story. She loves a good, twisted psychological character and loved that the killer was female, preferably no domestic thrillers, although a stellar one is okay, and something fresh outside the kidnapped child or missing female tropes. They Never Learn by Lane Fargo is on my radar, but please suggest any outside-the-box picks that you have in your back pocket. I can talk. Her birthday is November 15th, so I'd love to have some before then. Okay, and then uh, Sarah also included a list of other books that... Her wife has loved. I'm just gonna keep talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned on the show just before this one, my sister, the serial killer, by Oyinkan Braithwaite. I think that would be a great one if that's not already on your radar. But since I just talked about that book, I wanted to give you something else. So this one is from my TBR and like definitely feels like an out of the box, twisty, psychological, dark slash also sort of like that dark dark, dark, dark humor. Uh, it's Eileen by Otessa Moshfe. This one comes with content warnings for alcoholism, child abuse, rape, and disordered eating. Did I mention that it is dark? Okay, so mm-hmm. the main character, Eileen, is, I think she's like a 20-something, yeah, 20-something who is working as a secretary at a boys' juvenile detention center and is also the caretaker for her alcoholic father and, like, They're very, like, sort of notorious in their neighborhood, looked down on by the neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. She is not a particularly happy person. She just, like, spends her days dreaming of being anywhere but here and in the meantime is just, like, doing her own minor rebellions, like, you know, shoplifting and uh, just trying to, like, get through her life in potentially not great choice ways. A new counselor comes to the detention center, uh, Rebecca, and she's very like bright and beautiful and cheerful. And so Eileen becomes obsessed with them. They have this friendship, but then everything goes dramatically sideways and Rebecca pulls her into a crime. And it's like all kind of descends from there. They're comparing it to Shirley Jackson and Hitchcock and all of those things, so it sounds very like that sort of twisty psychological stuff that you might be looking for. Also, bonus, it takes place in New England around Christmas, so, like, very atmospheric and seasonally appropriate in the way that, like, a murdery book could be. So, yeah, again, that's Eileen by Otessa Mosheve.
0: All right. So I picked The Guest List by Lucy Foley, which comes with trigger warnings for sexual assault and extreme bullying. And this is a very Agatha Christie-ish kind of mystery. So as opposed to like, pretty young white blonde girl goes missing. It's like everybody locked in one place and someone's going to die kind of a thing, (laughs) which is such an enjoyable trope. I love it so much. So this takes place on an island off the coast of Ireland, like a very, very small, rugged little island where a couple has bought a castle and its grounds on the island and are using it to host events. And so there's a wedding happening at this on this island. The groom is a really well-known television star he's like very handsome very charming and the bride is a really high-powered publisher of a a well-known like luxury lifestyle magazine so they're wealthy they're beautiful they're charming they're all of these things all of the guests who are coming are like very fancy and are being brought over by boat (laughs) and so everybody gathers you know in this kind of drunken party full of rich people with interpersonal problems on an island with, you know, ragged coastlines surrounded by stormy waters, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) And of course, as the story goes on, you get more and more details about, like, the problems between characters and the, like, past harms and traumas and the things that this guy did to that one and that the groom did to that guy and that all of that, like, secrets come out, all of that, and then somebody ends up dead. And I'm not going to tell you who, because it is kind of a spoiler. It happens pretty far into the book. And then, you know, you are on this path to kind of figure out who and why this happened. So half of the book is, you know, the on the island doing the wedding stuff and the murder. (laughs) Half of it's doing the murder. (laughs) And then the other half is um, flashbacks to, you know, previous interactions that the characters have had with each other over time. So it's I mean, you know, it's hard to say that an Agatha Christie retelling is like innovative because... Agatha Christie is like the classic version of these kinds of stories, but it is not a domestic thriller and it's not that kind of super popular girl goes missing thing that that's everywhere right now. So that is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. And most of her stuff is great. I would say if your wife really likes this kind of genre, Lucy Foley's a a great place to go for thrillers. Well, why can't I think of the word thriller? Okay. (laughs) All right. So that is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. And now it is time for our next question, which is from Tori, who says has two questions. The first one is Janet Ivanovich, but for my middle aged dad, question mark, I think we would benefit from reading a book together. And when I mentioned it, it wasn't shut down. So now I'm looking for something with action and humor and absolutely no sexy times. He made me read The Camel Club by David Baldacci once, and I'm still not over it. <laughs> the only series we have both read at separate times and enjoyed are Harry Potter and The Dresden Files. And her second question is uh, our opinions about a book that I've not read. So I'm not going to answer that. Yeah, same. That for you. OK, sorry. We can't help you with American Pop is noted right. We ha- we have no opinions. Um. OK, so Jen, Janet Ivanovich for dads.
1: Yeah, I had to get help with this one because this is not my forte. But Cassie, who has a lot of good opinions about thrillers and mysteries, uh, recommended The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, which then like 14 other people thumbs up. So I feel like that's a pretty rousing recommendation, and it sounds really enjoyable, It takes place in a retirement village where four friends who are, like, headed towards 80 years old meet up once a week to try to, like, solve unsolved murders. So, literally, Thursday Murder Club is they get together every Thursday and, like, look Mm -hmm. at cold cases. Amazing. And then a property developer local to the area turns up dead. And so now they have an actual live case. So this is, like, a very, like octogenarian solving crime story, which sounds super fun and very, like, read it with dad enjoyable. I have this on my TBR now because, yeah, the blurbs are really solid. Kate Atkinson loved it. And I, I do love a Kate Atkinson. So <laughs> uh, again, that's The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman.
0: All right, I'm recommending A Bad Day for Sunshine by Dorinda Jones, which is the first book in the Sunshine Vikram series. I am right now reading the second book because my library hold finally came in. It took (laughs) a thousand years. Anyway, so this is about Sheriff Sunshine Vikram, who was a cop in, I think, Albuquerque, New York, and had a perfectly acceptable career there. But then her parents, who live in Del Sol, New Mexico, which is Sunshine's hometown, Secretly nominate her for sheriff and she wins. <laughs> so now she is suddenly, against her will, sheriff of this tiny little place, her hometown. And so she moves there with her 14 year old daughter. I think she's 14. She's a teenager, she's a single mom. And it is hilarious. Like, this is such small town nonsense. She really expects, you know, being the mayor of this town means that most of her days is going to be spent you know, adjudicating the conflict between two neighbors over who actually owns the rooster named Puff Daddy. Like, that's the thing <laughs> that she's going to spend most of her days doing. But then almost immediately, a teenage girl goes missing from her town. And so she's got, and there's, a you know, a kidnappers out there on the loose, and she's got to solve this mystery. She gets help from the FBI, and the FBI agent is, like, real cute. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. There's no, there nothing happens that would be embarrassing to read with your dad, I will say. But that's just a nice kind of subplot. And through all of this, her daughter, who is very smart and very precocious, like tries to help her with the case by researching the girl at the school because she had met her once when they first moved there and the girl was like really nice to her. And as you're going through this, this case that's happening with Sunshine, you get her backstory, which is that when she lived in Del Sol, she was abducted as like a young woman. And that case was never solved. So she is constantly trying to solve her own cold case. And that is, they think, why she has her daughter. She has no recollection of any of that, of being taken or of being assaulted or of coming home. Like she, as far as she knew, you know, was in her truck and then woke up in the hospital. Like, that's it. That's all she remembers. So she's, there's that. And that I'm realizing now in book two, it's not solved in book one, her cold case. That's like kind of going to be a through line, I think, for the whole series of her trying to figure out what happened to her when she was younger. But the side characters are hilarious. It's just such a great, like, small town. The stakes are low. I mean, not like there's a girl missing here. And that's that's a high stakes, dramatic case to solve. But outside of the main thing that they're trying to solve, everything else is just ridiculous. Like, everybody's so well-meaning and nice. And the arguments over the roosters are, like, very sincere. Like, they really want to know who owns the rooster. Um, there's a lot of... Just ridiculous small town characters. It's very lighthearted and super, super, super funny. So that's A Bad Day for Sunshine by Dorinda Jones.
1: All right. Our next question is from Deanna and is also about thrillers for dads. Uh, Deanna asks, any suggestions for my dad who loves thrillers, mysteries and historical fiction? He reads mostly white men, Ken Follett, Michael Crichton, John Grisham, etc. His favorite books this year were City of Thieves by David Benioff and The Beekeeper of Aleppo by Christy Lefteri. He loves to learn, but sometimes struggles with nonfiction. For example, I gifted him Killers of the Flower Moon last year, and he couldn't get into it. Hmm. Trying to broaden his usual fare outside of white dudes and would love any Rex, Adult only and no graphic novels, please. He's also mentioned he doesn't like a ton of violence. But then again, his favorite book ever is Pillars (laughs) of the Earth. So shrug. Uh, LOL. Uh, That is spread out over like 1,400 (laughs) pages. So maybe it's just just diluted. (laughs) Right. It's like the percentage of violence, (laughs) perhaps page percentage. Per capita. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for you something that our colleague Jamie, who writes The Unusual Suspects uh, Mystery Thriller newsletter, recommended to me. And I got it from the library, actually in time for the show. I'm not done yet, but I am very much enjoying it. It's Murder in Old Bombay by Nev March. I will give content warnings because they come up in the plot quite a lot. Um, references to suicide, and then mention of rape and harm to children. So this book is a historical mystery, so we're threading two needles here. The main character is a captain in the army while a retired veteran, uh, Jim Agnihotri. He is living in late 1800s in India, and... He has recently, like, you know, spent a lot of time recovering in the hospital from a horrible thing that happened on the front lines. He is part of the British military presence. I will give a caveat that this the narrator is extremely sympathetic to British rule of India. So, like, if that's not a thing you're looking for, you might want to skip this one. But it has other things going for it meaning mostly that it is extremely a dive into the culture and situation at that point in India. So he is biracial. His mother was Indian um, of the Brahmin caste, and his father is an unknown English holder. He never knew him. Like, we don't, they don't know his name, et cetera, et cetera. And his mother died from consumption when he was very young, and he was raised in an orphanage and then went into the military. And he's very much, like, straddling a lot of lines, cultural, social, political lines. He happens to read while he's in the hospital this story, this very sad story about two women who fell from a clock tower at the local university and it was the family suspected foul play, but it was ruled suicide. And he's like, this doesn't add up. And he like literally has nothing to do. And he's a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. So he's like, maybe I'll become a journalist so I can investigate this. Because like, I just am really struck by this family's grief. And like, I want to help them find closure. And he ends up working for the family as a private investigator trying to figure out what happened. And he ends up traveling all over... India and the different city states that exist at this point the different regions and getting into all kinds of skirmishes and scrapes that give us a feel for like what it was like at this point in time so it's a got it's got a lot of great history and social and cultural information, so many details, which I feel like a history buff is going to love. Plus, it's got this mystery. um, So you're following the plot through that way. It's kind of slow. I will say it's a slow burn. It's not like a super fast page turner, but that's because it is so detailed. So I think it balances that pretty interestingly. So again, that is Murder in Old Bombay by Nev March.
0: Alright, I picked Dangerous Women by Hope Adams, which is a thriller and a mystery and historical fiction. And it's based on a true story. So I think, you know, a, a history buff will be like into it. So it takes place in 1841. And it's based on the true voyage of the ship Raja, which was a convict ship that transported people from England to Australia. So this story is about the voyage that was only women. So in 1841, the Raja embarked with 180 English women aboard. All of them were convicted of petty crimes. And they were being taken to Australia to be, you know, what is the word? Uh, Not, oh, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, Made into a prison colony. Like there's a verb for that, but I can't remember what the verb is. And so as they get on the ship and, you know, the ship, takes uh embarks and all of that you get a little bit of the backstory of some of the main characters how they ended up in prison what they were arrested for um, you get a little of the backstory of the matron like the woman who's not a prisoner but who is there to watch over the prisoners and it sets up like their relationship with the crew. And of course, the crew is all men. So that's going to be like a thing through the whole story. And almost immediately, like a few days into the trip, one of the women, who is a young mother, is stabbed. And she's like, probably going to die. It's not really clear she's under medical care, but everyone is a suspect. (laughs) Again, this is another kind of locked room murder mystery, I guess, because they're all just stuck on the ship. But everyone's a suspect, not because you know that everyone has motives, but because you don't know any of these people. You don't know if they were convicted for crimes they actually committed, or if what is more likely they were convicted for crimes of like having opinions while female in 1840, which is not great. Some of them know the woman who was stabbed some of them don't and then there's also the crew to consider so they've got between the moment the crime is committed and like three weeks later when they're going to land in australia to figure out who committed this crime and to make sure nobody else is assaulted so again this is based on a true story there are places there's a museum i don't remember the name of it but it's in the um notes of the book there's a museum in australia where you can actually go and see the quilt that the women made aboard this ship uh during their voyage and it's called the the Rajah quilt, I'm pretty sure. But you can go see that if you ever end up in Australia, if you're like really into this kind of historical fiction. But it is a murder mystery at the same time. So I think this will really do the job. So that's Dangerous Women by Hope Adams. And now it is time for our next sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at today's episode is brought to you by greenleaf book group no summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk comes the page turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dad perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, we're
0: cooking. Question five. (laughs) Yeah. All right. This is from Cassie, who says, I struggle with audiobook fiction, but I love audiobook nonfiction. I've been struggling to find my next audiobook now that I'm commuting again. I think my wheelhouse is investigative journalists tackling corruption. My favorite is Dark Money by Jane Mayer. I also loved Bad Blood by John Kerry and Empire of Pain by Patrick Raiden Keefe. Okay, so nonfiction investigative journalists.
1: All right. I picked for you another one from my TBR. It is The Golden Thread by Ravi Samaya. And this is an investigative journalist surrounding a Cold War murder. So not like business corruption in the way that you uh, mentioned some of the other ones, but definitely investigative, definitely like turning over stones. And apparently this is the murder show. So here we go. Yeah. So, yes. So this is about the death of the U.N. Secretary General Dag Hammarskjold, which was like a very big deal in the 60s. He like all true story, like he boarded a propeller plane flight in Leopoldville and then hours later was found dead in the jungle with like a a playing card tucked in his collar. What? Yeah, right? Wild. It's a wild story. (laughs) It's like a Bond movie. It is. It (laughs) is. And he had been the head of the UN for almost 10 years and was like, you know, legendary for, you know, trying to bring peace to all of these different nations. But also like there were a lot of like weird things going on, like the CIA, the KGB, like business interests, militant groups, like everybody had sort of it out for him... Or at least motives to have it out for him. And so so Maya is like diving into the case and like looking for new evidence and conducting new interviews. And like this is like one of the great murder mysteries of the Cold War that I had not heard of before I found this book. It is an audio, and so this seems like something that's definitely gonna keep your attention and is a really wild story to be learning about and also just like an interesting and important. Important period of history. So, again, that's the golden thread by Ravi Samaya.
0: All right. I picked She Said by Jodi Cantor and Megan Twohey. These are the two journalists who broke the Harvey Weinstein story. So, in October of 2017, they broke that story in the New York Times. And that, of course, was the story that really blew up the Me Too movement that had been founded and started by Tanara Burke which is ongoing repercussions right now. (laughs) And the book is a part, you know, it's a memoir about their investigative journalism into Harvey Weinstein and all of the bananas crap that they went through to get that guy. Like he sent private investigators after them. They had to interview some of the most famous women in the world and get them to talk on the record about these these things that they were terrified to talk about because they didn't want to ruin their careers. And, you know, they were personally threatened. It was just years of really hard investigative journalism and danger to themselves. And then once they broke it, once the story came out, of course, all of these people came out of the woodwork to to talk about the horrible ways that Weinstein had treated them. And we're still and they do discuss in the book the ways that we are still feeling the repercussions of that case now like he still hasn't I think he's still on trial like I don't think he's been tried yet or he's got so many counts against him that he might be going in and out of I don't remember but it's still happening right like he is still in the in the headlines. So it's very, very timely. I read that piece when it came out, but hearing about all the background stuff, that, all the work that went into it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it continues to really make clear how important investigative journalists are, especially now, like especially mm-hmm. these days. So that's She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on a lighter note, we have a question from another Jen with two N's. Hello to you. Uh, who says, I'm a kindergarten teacher at an arts integrated school and my students are in love with chapter books for read aloud time. So far this year, we've read the Magnificent Makers and the Magical Ms. Plum and they absolutely ate them up. I mentioned that I was going to go to the library to pick new books up, and they pretty much exploded with requests. Books suitable for five- to seven-year-olds with any or all of the following would be amazing. These are all direct quotes from my students. I wouldn't normally read all of these aloud, but these are so good, y'all. We're going to listen yeah. to these and enjoy them. Okay, so this is the list of things that, that Jen's students would like in their books. Number one, a long, good chapter book of lots of things. <laughs> Number two, magical. Three, kiddies. Four, dragons. Five, a group of clams. Six, Komodo dragons. Seven, a unicorn. Eight, dogs and horses. Nine, snakes. Ten, socks. Eleven, classrooms and working hard on exploring. <laughs> just amazing i love this list so much a
0: group of clams is the best.
1: a group of clams i don't know i don't even and like socks that's Mm -hmm. okay we're we're very specific here also a lot of reptiles like komodo dragons yeah komodo dragons snakes dragons yeah it's very (laughs) this is this is a delightful list uh and if anybody is inspired to write a chapter book Containing all of them, please let us know when it's available for review. Um, I'm just going to keep talking. My recommendation is Rosie Revere and the Rockest Riveters by Andrea Beatty and David Roberts. So, this came out of the picture book series, Rosie Revere Engineer, which I love, have gifted to many people. And now there are chapter books. It's the Questionnaire series, and I feel like while it probably doesn't have a group of clams and, like, socks in it, it is about classrooms and working hard on exploring, and it's a chapter book of lots of things. And it, I think it's a good read-alike for things like The Magnificent Makers. So Rosie Revere is in love with engineering, and that means that she has a lot of catastrophes. Like, lots of her experiments go wrong. And then Rosie's aunt and her friends, who are the raucous riveters, who built planes during World War II, so historical, uh, they need help inventing something new. And Rosie is the engineer for for the job. Um, And she and her fellow questionnaires, her fellow friends, uh, get to help her aunt and her friends build something. And this is like, you know, it's teamwork, it's working across generations, it's inventing things, it's hijinks, it's fun. I think this whole series is worth looking at. There's a bunch of them. And yeah, super, super enjoyable. I love this series so much. So again, that's Rosie Revere and the Raucous Riveters, part of the Questionnaire series by Andrea Beatty and David Roberts.
0: All right. I picked Dragons in a Bag by Zeta Elliott, which is magical, of course has dragons. Mm-hmm. It is about classrooms and working hard on exploring, and it's a long, good chapter book with lots of things. <laughs> there are no socks, but there's a magical bag, which yes. feels a little adjacent to socks. So this is about a boy named Jackson who is, spent, uh, who is sent to spend the day with of like a friend or relative of his mother's that his mother calls Ma. And he finds out pretty quickly that this is not his grandmother. This is a witch. And the witch is asking him... For his help to help deliver baby dragons to uh, out of like our world and into a magical world where they will be safe and secure. So it's a little bit of portal magic. And there are two rules that he has to follow: don't ever let them out of the bag, and do not ever feed them sweet foods. And pretty immediately, Jackson and his little group of friends break both of those rules. They let the dragons out, the dragons get into some sweets, and then they it's just chaos. Dragon <laughs> chaos. And so they have to figure out how, like, what are the actual consequences of these mistakes that I've made and how do I undo them and how do I get these dragons out of, like, the streets of Brooklyn where who knows what will happen to them and safely back into their little bag and into their world where they belong. And this is the first book in a series. There's lots and lots of adventure, a lot of really great side characters, and a little magic tote bag, which I think is very charming. So that's Dragons in a Bag by Zetta Elliott.
1: Love it so much. (laughs) All right, our last question
0: is from Mallory, who says, Though I didn't have much interest in Russian literature before, my love of George Saunders convinced me to read A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. I enjoyed his teacherly quality of guiding you through these short stories and ability to help me learn, and I appreciate them in a way I wouldn't have been able to without support. His deep love for these stories was evident and made the reading experience extremely enjoyable. I'm currently planning on reading Tolstoy Together, 85 Days of War and Peace with Yi Yun Lee and participating in A War and Peace Read in September are there any books similar to these that can help me approach a new book or genre more deeply it does not have to be russian literature that was just a coincidence all right jen what you got
1: So I'm recommending Books and Islands in Ojibwe Country by Louise Erdrich. This is not an exact one-to-one comp for the George Saunders or the Yi and Lee. But what made me pick this book is that this is sort of like a memoir slash series of essays um, that Erdrich writes as she is touring around these lakes and islands, as you might guess from the title, uh, in southern Ontario. And she is both on sort of this like water trip it's not a road trip it's a canoe trip And she's thinking not just about the geography and her relationship to it, but also about the books that she is reading as she's traveling the books that she's read in her life that have been really important to her. And when I read this book for the first time, it made me want to read those books either over again if I had already read them or if I had not read them for the first time because she writes about them so deeply and thoughtfully and even though she's covering more than one book I do think that there are interesting entry points to the books that she's talking about a lot of which are classics not all but a lot of them are and just like that feeling of of hearing a friend be like well this is why this book is so important to me and like this is why I think you should give it a chance. That's the feeling that you get from reading this book, alongside of getting to accompany her on this amazing journey. Really, it's like a quiet, beautiful, thoughtful very short. It's like a less than 200 pages book, but it really will make you want to read some of these books that perhaps you have been avoiding or never considered picking up in the first place. And like I said, she's just an amazing writer. So there's so many reasons why I think this book works for this question, even though it is not a deep dive into a single work. Uh, So again, that's Books and Islands in Ojibwe Country by Louise Erdrich.
0: All right. I picked my life in Middlemarch by Rebecca Mead. And this is a memoir about Middlemarch, which is, you know, a giant classic of Victorian literature by George Eliot, which Virginia Woolf kind of famously said was the only English novel written for grownups, which I kind of, kind of agree. I totally agree with it. It is very, very grown up. So Middlemarch is, you know, George Eliot wrote about kind of pastoral English relationships, and that's essentially what Middlemarch is about. It's about marriage and community relationships and this kind of small village and the the ways that the people kind of interact with each other. Eliot was very politically minded, so there's a lot of that in there as well. Um, she was very progressive at the time. And so My Life in Middlemarch is Rebecca Mead's memoir of reading it when she lived in an English coastal town and, you know, fell in love with it and then goes on about her life to like move to the US. She gets married. She has kids. um, She becomes a journalist. And every chapter of the book is about a different period in her life and how it relates to Middlemarch and how her frequent almost constant rereadings of the book over her life have really guided her and in a lot of ways given her the life that she has now because she is making choices that are very informed by what she's reading in the moment so the structure of her memoir kind of mirrors the structure of Middlemarch itself. It's not that long; it's not like eight hundred pages. Just <laughs> to you know, unwarn you, it's the opposite of what reassure you. Um, it's not that long, but it it's such an interesting book because I don't I don't have a like a lodestone book like that, and I don't really know anyone who does who like reads the same book
1: over and over and over um, and over. Me and the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, okay. Well,
0: there we go. So Jen has one. Jen, you've not done any prison breaks that I'm aware of. But if you have, I would like to hear about them after we get off of the show. Fair. Yeah. Um, But the ways that she takes the text and incorporates it. You know, this is the text of a 250-year-old book. And she's like incorporating it into her own Mm. modern choices in really interesting ways. So that's My Life in Middlemarch by Rebecca Mead. And that's it that's our show we are really speedy. speedy yeah speedsters through that one thank you so much to our audio editor jen zinc and thank you all for listening please don't forget to go check out our new show adaptation nation once again jen talking about duke Letta being a himbo you have to <laughs> you need to listen to this so uh you can also find all of our other podcasts at bookride.com slash listen as well as the new show please leave us a rating and review on apple Podcasts. thank you so much to our sponsors and you can find us on social media i'm on instagram at i'm amanda nelson jen where's where's jen
1: I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to y'all next week.